I once heard about a young man who was serving as a substitute preacher for a preacher who had fallen ill, and he didn't know how to present himself, but he saw that there was a broken window in the sanctuary, so he compared himself to the substitute cardboard that was covering over that broken pane. And at the end of his sermon, as he was greeting the folks at the door, an older lady said, Sonny, you're not just a substitute. You're not a piece of cardboard. You're a real pain. (laughs) I'm not sure how I fit into that. But I would encourage our guests to return next week or shortly thereafter to hear our pastor, Levi Secord, who is absent today by design, by plan. This was a vacation week for them. And he asked me to preach. And initially, he thought that maybe I wanted to continue with his series in Ecclesiastes. But I decided to not do that, but linger instead on a closing portion of his last sermon. Throughout the past two years, the religion of scientism has dominated the world with medical bureaucrats who have afflicted whole populations with terror as they predicted 2.2 million deaths in the United States alone, and then proceeded to impose lockdowns with shelter-at-home orders and other irrational reactive mitigations instead of encouraging a sane, calm, and individually responsible approach to the virus, their demands spread fear and panic. Sadly, many evangelicals joined in spreading fear by closing churches and imposing unreasonable restrictions upon parishioners gathering together for worship, gathering together for funerals and other events that require our gathering together. From the beginning of the COVID pandemic, political leaders and church leaders alike have listened to medical bureaucrats whose public presence has been aimed at scaring, yea, terrifying populations with looming death from a virus that proved very early on to be survivable by nearly 99.9% of the population who contracted it. Thus, reasonable people, especially Christians, did not surrender to the fright and panic that they imposed on us daily. Long ago, C.S. Lewis was distressed with scientism. His concern was with the uncritical acceptance of science. He forecast that science would become treated as a religion that holds the power to determine ethical questions. He was not wrong. He called the resulting form of political domination scientocracy, which is the wrong-headed belief that modern science applies the only reasonable method of knowledge about the world 
and also that scientists should be the ones to dictate public policy and even our moral and religious beliefs simply on the basis of their scientific expertise. Shortly after his conversion to Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote to his brother, a priest is a man who disseminates little lies in defense of a great truth, and a scientist is a man who disseminates little truths in defense of a great lie. A few years before his death in 1963, C.S. Lewis wrote this, I dread government in the name of science. That is how tyrannies come in. Yes, there are pandemics and wars, national leaders whose greed and quest for domination prompt them to confiscate other people's wealth and land and even whole nations. Hard-hearted prime ministers and presidents issue orders to trample humans under horse hooves or under military tanks. We see it. We witness it in news reports. Government administrators manipulate the masses by exponentially exaggerating the deadliness of a virus by withholding crucial data from their own people. And again, we've seen this. Truly, the world is often a terrifying place to live. But we need not be terrified Fright is incompatible with belief in God who cares for us. There is a vast difference between fright and fear of God. When Pastor Levi last preached two weeks ago, he concluded his sermon in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 7, with these words from that verse. Much dreaming and many words are vapor. Therefore, fear God. My concern today is to unpack the vast difference between unholy fright and holy fear. How are we to live in this terrifying world without being terrified? And what does it mean to fear God? I will answer these with two affirmations. First, fear has its rightful place. And second, fear has its proper functions. First, fear has its rightful place, the appropriateness of fear. Fear of God is our duty. It does not take much searching of the scriptures to make it obvious to us that our duty is to fear God. The passage from Ecclesiastes 5 is one among many in Ecclesiastes itself that beckon us to fear God. Earlier in Ecclesiastes 3.14, Solomon says this, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. And again, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. 
for the one who fears God shall come out with both. And again, Ecclesiastes 8. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, and oh, how we know this to be true, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. And finally, the book of Ecclesiastes concludes with these words. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Both the Old and the New Testaments instruct us to fear God. Many of us memorized long ago when we were children this from Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Or this from Proverbs 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The wicked lack holy fear of God. This is what Paul has to say in Romans 1. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a portrait of the wicked. That is a portrait of everyone who is apart from Christ. The book of Revelation likewise appeals to us to fear God. An angel flying with a loud voice saying, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Fear of God is entirely compatible with trust in God. Hebrews 4 links this Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they have heard did not benefit them because they did not unite it by faith. They didn't unite it with faith. Faith and fear are not in animosity toward one another. And again, Jude, in his brief letter, closes with these words. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others... Show mercy with fear, 
hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 7. If we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Fear of God is what characterizes God's people, but not fright. Again, in Ephesians 5, Paul is exhorting us to submit to one another out of fear of Christ. Fear of Christ. And the very fact that those words may sound strange to us is an indication of how little we have properly understood what fear entails. Many people would shudder at such words, fear of Christ. And Peter, in his first letter, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile here on earth, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So it's clear from the scriptures that fear and faith are not in enmity with one another, but are friends. They work together. Now we need to come to recognize a necessary and crucial distinction between holy fear and unholy fear. We've seen that God's word repeatedly exhorts us to a holy fear. Now we need to recognize and identify an unholy fear, the kind of fear that God's word rebukes and warns us against. Jesus instructs us with these reassuring words. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Some people think that that's referring to the devil. That is not. It's referring to the Lord God. The Lord God alone can destroy body and soul in hell. And Jesus goes on to make the point. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, the one who can kill the body. Fear not either the devil nor fellow humans, but fear him who regards you as more valuable than a sparrow. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Fear, fright, terror, these characterize this present evil age, just as the Holy Scriptures forewarned. Here again, Jesus' warning and admonition. See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, 
But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. These are not the signs that the end is immediately upon us. These are what characterize this present evil age in which we live. Wars and rumors of wars, and have we not heard those? Unholy fear is a slave master. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Unholy fear is a slave master from which we need redemption. And the only redemption that is ours from that unholy fear and from that slavery is the Lord Jesus Christ of whom Hebrews 2 speaks. Fear of fellow humans displaces a fear of God. Paul speaks of this in his letter to the Galatians of Cephas. When Cephas came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came from Jerusalem, he drew back and separated, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, lived like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? Fear of fellow humans is very potent. We are all tempted to surrender to the terror and to the fright that we see and witness when we encounter others whose frown we must endure if we do not agree with them. Paul rebuked Peter for that. Love for God banishes unholy fear before God. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. As Christ is, so we are in this world. That's what John is saying in 1 John 4. There is no fright in love. Most translations simply say there is no fear in love. But I think that we should strengthen that. There is no fright in love. But perfect love, the kind of love that is from God, casts out fright. For fright has to do with punishment. And whoever is frightened has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. The love of Christ banishes fright. We are not terrified when we ponder the last day because Christ has borne all the fright that others must endure because they have not looked to him, but we have. And we've looked to him only because he turned us to look to him. Consider some contrasts between holy fear and unholy fright. Unholy fear entails bondage. 
Holy fear is given by the Holy Spirit. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Paul's letter to Timothy. Unholy fear leads to eternal death. Holy fear draws us to Christ. Unholy fear torments one's conscience with impending wrath. Holy fear produces confidence and assurance of acceptance with God in Christ Jesus. Unholy fear is inseparable from unbelief. Holy fear is a grace of the Holy Spirit that keeps Christians within the bounds of God's love and grace. Unholy fear entails rebellious contempt for God. Holy fear generates true and reverential worship of God who is holy and brings us to confidently stand in his presence, though he's holy, because, of course, we stand in Christ. Now my second affirmation. Fear has its proper function. First, fear prompts us to be ever mindful of God's presence. Fear of the Lord is the pervasive principle that regulates our whole posture before God. It regulates our faith, our love, our obedience, our worship. And this is because we acknowledge that God, whose wrath is kindled against the unrighteous, is the only one who can deliver us from that wrath. This is why the scriptures describe true worshipers of God as God-fearers. Let not your heart envy sinners, as Proverbs 23 says, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Second, fear prompts us to be ever watchful over our conduct to obey Jesus Christ. If we consciously live under the watchful eye of the Lord who is holy, we will fear lest we provoke God's wrath. This watchful fear arrests us lest we sin and enlivens us to obey God. Fear of God governs us as Christians lest we sin. As Moses said to the people of Israel, do not be frightened for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Exodus 20 verse 20. The God of the Old Covenant is the God of the New Covenant. Jeremiah 32 speaks of the New Covenant. Here's what the prophet says concerning God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. The new covenant is a covenant in which the Lord God implants within us a new heart, a new heart that fears him and obeys him. Thirdly, fear establishes our assurance of faith that we truly belong to Christ Jesus. Scripture distinguishes between two kinds of fears. Fear that I shall fall away and perish. 
that is a lack of assurance. That's antithetical to Christian assurance. But the other kind of fear is this, fear lest I fall away and perish. The former, fearing that I shall fall and perish, destroys faith and assurance. The latter, fear lest I fall away and perish, nurtures belief and confidence. John Calvin correctly observes this distinction when he writes these words. There is another kind of fear and trembling other than that fear that is evil. There is another kind of fear and trembling, one that so far from diminishing the assurance of faith, the more firmly establishes it. This happens when believers, considering that the examples of divine wrath executed upon the ungodly as warnings to them, take special care not to provoke God's wrath against them by the same offenses, or when inwardly contemplating their own misery, learn to depend wholly upon the Lord, without whom they see themselves more unstable and fleeting than any wind. Calvin rightly understood the Apostle Paul's admonition to the Philippians when he wrote these words. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, bring to completion your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to desire and to do his good pleasure. Bring to completion your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not fearing that I shall fall away and perish, but fearing lest I fall away and perish. Distrust yourself with fear and trembling and fully entrust yourself to the Lord who causes us both to desire and to do what pleases him. This bolsters our assurance that we truly belong to Christ Jesus. Fear and trembling of that kind establishes assurance rather than destroys it. Fear to stand as a reprobate before God motivated the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians, I do all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself be rejected. That's the kind of fear that the Apostle Paul admonishes for us as well. How does fearing lest I fall away engender confidence that I shall not fall away, but persevere to the end and be saved. Fearing to crash is the necessary caution I need to drive safely and confidently on highways. If I do not fear lest I crash, I should never drive on any street or highway. Presumptuous drivers are dangerous to themselves and to everyone else. On the other hand, drivers who lack confidence but are fearful are also dangerous to themselves and to others. If I fear that I will crash, I should never 
drive on roadways. But fear must go with me. Fear lest I crash. Fearing to fall is a necessary caution for rock climbers. Presumptuous climbers are deadly climbers. If they do not fear lest they fall, they will likely fall. On the other hand, fearing that they will fall is equally deadly. Fearing that I will fall paralyzes climbers and freezes them on ledges, and they have to be rescued if they can find a ledge. Fear to fall motivates climbers to take every proper caution when climbing. Faith in God is like that. Faith in God who promises salvation to us who fear him motivates us to climb, to persevere, to endure. God has established the human relationship of children to their fathers, especially their fathers, as earthly analogies of our relationship with God. Fathers who love their children instill in them both faith and fear. Trustworthy fathers inspire their children to trust them by keeping their word. But they also teach their children to fear, to disobey them by punishing them when they do disobey. Fear and faith work harmoniously to bring children to maturity. And parents and fathers who terrify their children instill in their children unholy fear. But fathers and parents who did not instruct their children to fear them instill in them disobedience and vagrancy and lostness. Parents, learn how to instill both faith and fear in your children. See to it that fear never becomes fright and that faith never becomes presumption. Remember that you, especially you fathers, represent to your children their first impressions of God's character. Would you have your children frightened before God as an austere and cruel God? Exasperating your children with harsh punishment will induce such fright. Would you have your children presume upon God's goodness and grace? Pampering your children and withholding the rod will surely set them on a pathway toward presuming upon God's mercy. As parents, we must balance faith and fear, for they work harmoniously together to bring children up in godliness. Instill fear and faith in your children. This is what the proverb envisions when it declares this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Child rearing requires much grace to be properly balanced, for you must strive to be godlike. And becoming a godly person begins in such a home. We have no cause to be frightened. Repeatedly we hear God's word tell us, fear not. And the prophet Isaiah is a good one with whom we should close. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, 
Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. It is evident from God's word that God's word distinguishes between unholy fear and holy fear. In fact, scripture distinguishes between God's people and the people of this world by making it clear that believers fear God and the wicked have no fear of God at all. Those who indulge in wicked behavior do not fear God. When they finally face God, terror will overwhelm them. Do you fear God? Are you a God-fearer? Does fear of God prompt your heart to obey your heavenly Father? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man.